Do we need the heat on? No. Is it warm? Here, can you lower the temperature to like something that it's lower? God, want to thank you for grace and your mercy. We want to thank you that. We want to thank you for what this, these candles represent, the coming of Jesus. And, and as we burn them down, Lord, we, we symbolize that we know that he will come again. And he will come again in glory. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so I need, um, I need a little congregational help here. I, I would li- I'm going to start singing a song, and you all have to join in with me, okay? Yes. Are you ready for this? All right, what's the first song? Okay, ready? Deck the halls with... Keep going. Good, good, keep going. Here, here comes the test. Come on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's good. Well done. And I was thinking, as I was thinking of that song, that whole gay apparel thing, I, I think that's politically incorrect now. I don't think we can get away with actually saying that. Well, you did anyway, yes. Okay, the next one is Sleigh Bells Ring. All right, that's, that's good. All right, here, uh, let's see what the next one. Um, all right, Jingle Bells, Jingle. <laughs> okay, all right, let's see if you got this one. Here comes Santa Claus. Here, here comes Santa Claus. Right down Santa Claus Lane. Yeah. <laughs> I knew there would be one where you just have to go. Yeah. All right, how about Rudolph the Red Nose? All right, I get it. You know that one. So, so I've heard that, I read somewhere that Rudolph is actually a bad role model, the whole story for bullying or something like that. What, what's this world coming to? The sacredness of Rudolph? Come on. That's like, that's like lead poisoning. And I know that lead poisoning can be very dangerous to children, but here's a, don't let your kid chew on the, on the banister. I mean, that's, that can help, right? Or the windowsill. I digress. All right, one more. Let's see. Frosty the... Uh-oh.
All right. All right. You know, Christmas songs, especially the ones that kind of focus on on the holiday and not necessarily the the Christ-centered songs, the Christmas songs, they always have this, they're always in a good mood, right? Even even Presley's I'll Have a Blue Christmas, he's really saying, without you, right? And because so he, he wants his lady with him, you know? And, and so there's always this, this joyousness. And so tis the season to be jolly and darn your gay apparel. And you walk in the winter wonderland and you're, everything is just kind of feeling good about it. And you got Santa Claus coming to town and he's got Rudolph pulling the sleigh with his shiny nose like a light bulb and Pinocchio or whatever, that whole thing. And Frosty, Frosty is continually thumpity thump thumping everywhere he goes. I mean, just that's what the whole. And so there's this joy about these songs. There's a joy about the Christmas time of year. But you know, it's almost it's almost like I'm going to put my shades on. It's almost like a forced expectation during this time of year where you have to be joyful. I mean, it's Christmas. Tis the season. It's Christmas, and there's supposed to be something magical about it. There's supposed to be something amazing about it. All of the smells and the lights and the, and the decorations and the food preparations and the party and the, and the gathering of people. There's this expectation that you need to be jolly. You need to be happy. Even the songs we sing have this happy vibe to it. But... For some people, this expectation that's put on them for this time of year really can highlight the things that are going wrong in their life. This time of year, it can highlight what's really missing in people's lives. And so people see this very stark contrast to what society and culture says they should be experiencing and what they may be actually experiencing in their own lives. And what the songs say in the lyrics, what the TV commercials are telling us, even what the cards, the Christmas cards that we send and we receive, there's all this very good vibe going on within them. And some people can just go, wait a minute, wait, see, that's not my reality right now. I'm not there. What's what's wrong with me that I'm not holly and jolly this Christmas? And then depression can set in. An isolation can set in. People feel very alone, and that holly jolly Christmas never seems to manifest itself. This is just the reality. I don't want to be a downer. I mean, you're all laughing and joking when you heard the songs, but this is, this is the reality for some people. But I'm here to tell you that there's something that we have access to that moves us beyond our circumstances. It moves us beyond what society and what the culture says we should be or says we, what we should be experiencing. And it's not happiness. Happiness is this, this surface-level consciousness that depends upon our circumstances. Happiness ebbs and flows, and that's okay because that's what happiness is. Some things make you happy, and some things actually don't make you happy. You can't be happy all of the time if you are I worry about you, and we have to talk in my office later. But there's something more to it. There's something from God that can uh, restore a sense of wholeness 
and restore a sense of community and restore this place of well-being. And it's not contingent upon external forces or circumstances or the things that are going on around you. It goes way beyond the surface. In fact, if it exists within you, it's probably seated deep within you, deep within your soul. Maybe we can even say that it becomes part of your character, part of who you really are. Now, I'm going to give you one guess at what that thing is. Anybody? Joy. Some of you are paying attention to the whole thing. It's joy. It's not happiness. It's joy. Now, I have, to, I have to say this. Joy is not always laughing and smiling and feeling groovy and tiptoeing through the tulips. Joy is not always those mountaintop experience. It's, it's, not, it's not winning the lottery. It's not that perfect Christmas present this year. In fact, I believe that joy cannot be bought. There are so, there's just as many Rich, joyless people as there are broke, joyless people. But I would say this, that God loves broke people because he's made so many of us. So he's gotta, there's got to be something going on there. And, and, but, but, but you cannot buy joy. It's not for sale. Joy is about God's grace. Joy is about God's assurance. Maybe we can define joy as this. It's knowing that something better exists. Joy is knowing something better exists. And you refuse, you take a stance, and you refuse to believe anything else. And it's that belief. And it's that knowledge in the face of life, in the face of everything that can go wrong, that keeps you moving, that keeps you living, that keeps you engaging. Joy is knowing that all of this, all of the stuff out there, everything that we experience in the physical is not all there is. There is something more. And I would even say there is something better than this. That's joy. It's knowing that there is a spiritual force. And we call that force God. And it's the God that's written about in these pages. It's the God of the Bible. And this God, our God, is in control of all things. Even when things seem like they're out of control, even when it seems like you've lost control, God is in control of all things. This is where we find our joy. And you see, the God that created each one of us, he knows what's missing in your life. He knows what's what's broken in your life. He knows where you're hurting in your life. And not only does he know that, his desire is for you to move through it, to get beyond it to a place of wholeness where you're put back together again. I'm not talking about in the physical sense. I'm talking about in here. This is God's desire for his people and ultimately for those people who have received this God 
through the person of Jesus Christ, for those people, one day they will no longer live in fear and in pain and in brokenness because God is going to vanquish that. He's going to defeat that once and for all, and it will not exist. One day for those people who engage this God through the person of Jesus Christ will live with him for eternity. This is where we find our joy. This is where it exists. It's nothing out there. It's actually everything in here when the Spirit of the Lord gets a hold of you. Joy is this no matter what thing. No matter what, you can experience joy. But it needs to be continually pursued. It needs to be continually cultivated in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. There it is. Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim to proclaim." Freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for us, though, provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In chapter 60 of Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about what Zion will look like as it reflects the light of God. And by the time we get to chapter 61, he's actually speaking of the light itself. He's speaking about the Messiah, the servant Messiah. And the Spirit of God is on this person, this Messiah, this servant. And we know him to be Jesus. And for Isaiah, the way he thinks and the way he writes and the way he understands things, his theology, the spirit has to do with power. The spirit has to do with authority. And so power and authority are on this Messiah. And the power is there for a very specific reason. It is what? To proclaim good news to the poor. The Messiah that Isaiah is writing about is going to proclaim, he's going to preach, he's going to speak the words of God, the good news, the gospel to the poor. He's going to use words. And maybe you're thinking, just words? There there is power in the words of God. He spoke into creation. He spoke into chaos. And everything was created. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. And there was. And there was. The word of God has power and authority. And this is what the Messiah is going to proclaim. He is going to bring about the words of the good news. And here's the good news. God wins. He is victorious. And you are invited to join him in that victory. That's the good news. God wins. And he's invited you into that victory. And not only is the Messiah the bringer of this good news, but he is himself 
of the good news. Jesus, the Son of God, is the good news. He is bringing fulfillment of the victory of God to the poor. And poor has nothing to do with economic status. Poor has nothing to do with the money that you have or the money that you don't have. Poor refers to the people who are are so broken, man, they can't even try anymore. They've given up. Poor, Poor is about those people that are so chained to their addiction that words like freedom and healing, they seem like a cruel joke. Poor are the people who believe that God's favor has left them. And they will never experience the favor of the Lord again in their lives. The poor are the people who who feel their lives are just about sackcloth and ashes in despair. Jesus has come to proclaim the good news of God to them and also to be the good news for them. And and he's going to take it way beyond that. There's going to be more. It's not only this proclamation and being the good news. He's going to usher in the day of the Lord's, or I'm sorry, the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance. Vengeance kind of scares everybody. It makes a little uneasy between the shoulder blades. Like, okay, I can deal with favor. I like God's favor. But vengeance, well, let's, let's spend a minute on that. In this country, we really don't understand oppression. Maybe we understand it in the, 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 the spiritual sense. I've always say oppression is really recycling because I just think that's the man trying to keep a brother down and I think it's a whole big hoax going green, but that's just me. Don't quote me on that, but I digress anyway. So, but anyway, so that we don't really understand oppression. Nobody can stand up in this room and say, I've been oppressed. Spiritually, yes. Maybe, maybe even a little emotionally, but there are millions and millions of people in this world Millions of people in this world, entire nations, communities, villages, entire people groups, just because you come from one tribe and not the other tribe, that are oppressed socially, they're oppressed economically, they're oppressed politically, they're oppressed religiously, along with spiritually. We, we, don't, really, we don't really get that too much. We can look into it, but we haven't really experienced it for ourselves. And what the Messiah is going to do is is bring in a time when the people who are the oppressors, the people who are doing the oppressing, their day will be over. And the Lord's vengeance will come upon those people. Their day will be over. And what little power they think they were able to control, what little power they think they had is going to be broken and cast aside once for all. This is the day of the Lord's vengeance. They will suffer or they will experience the Lord's divine justice and the Lord's divine judgment. This is the vengeance of God. And then it talks about this whole idea of of mourning. God will comfort those who mourn. And we always tend to think of it as, okay, especially in the area of people who are being oppressed, there's a mourning, there's a heaviness, there's a just a, uh, and, and I, I do believe that God is going to come in and uh, alleviate that. But there's something more about this idea of mourning. It's, it has to do with mourning over your own sin. You know that you've messed up. You, you, you wrestle with this sin in your life. 
It doesn't seem to go away. It always seems to be that monkey on your back, and you just you can't shake it. And sometimes it, you think it's off, but it just crawls right back up on there, and it just weighs you down, and you realize it, and there's this sense of, ugh, in your life. See, for those people who recognize that, that that's a sin, that, that, that that's not the, the harmony that God would have for you, it's those people that will hear the comforting words of the Messiah. Because it's not only just about divine justice or the Lord's vengeance. He's proclaiming the favor of God on his people. You tracking with me on that? He's proclaiming the favor of God on his people. The Messiah will proclaim and he will fulfill God's favor. And because of him and because of his life, we have been accepted in spite of our sin. See, there's nothing you can do to get it right. And so if it wasn't a in spite of love, we would all be in a lot of trouble. But because of the Messiah, because of Jesus, because of the Lord's favor, we are accepted with an in spite of love, an in spite of forgiveness. You can't even do anything to really be forgiven. The Messiah had to come and stretch out his arms on that cross and die so that we could be forgiven. This is the favor of the Lord upon his people. Death will be defeated. Sin will be defeated. And someday in the future, their power will be broken and they will be no more. The picture that's painted here is a person who is in mourning with, with ashes on their heads and sackcloth on their bodies, and they just feel this heavy sense of despair. And then Isaiah will write that that person will be changed to almost a party goer, where they're going to have a beautiful crown on their head. They'll be perfumed with, with the oil of joy, and they will wear garments of praise. This is the work of the Messiah. They will be called mighty oaks. You will be called mighty oaks, Jesus' followers. And it has the symbol of abundance and permanence. God's promises will come to you in abundance and they will not fade away. They will not change. The promise of God is the promise of God forever to his people. No one can outgive God. And he's going to pour out his favor on his people because of the gift of the Messiah. And when, as, we strive to, as we strive in this world to make ourselves feel strong and look strong and take control and think we've got it all figured out, we are going to be burns in the chaff. But when we come before the Lord with humility and admitting our own weakness, it's then that the Lord, he pours out his beauty on us. And this is where we find our joy. It's nothing external, but it's in the promises of God. It's in, it's in the midst of our brokenness that our God saves. And it's in the midst of that brokenness as we are being saved that we can know Joy And so joy is not something that should ebb and flow. Joy is something that should be deeply 
sunk into our very being, that our lives would be joyful. And I believe this whole idea of, of um, Isaiah is, is where Paul can write in First Thessalonians, that, yeah, this one here, Thessalonians. <laughs> P. Paul would write this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is Christ, God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a community of faith. And this community of faith is going through some very difficult times. Things aren't going well for them. They are being persecuted and they are being oppressed. And he tells them, Rejoice always. Be joyful. And he tells them to pray continually. And for him, this, to rejoice and, and to pray continually, it's evidence in the lives of the believers that the Spirit of God is at work, with them, at work in them as individuals and as a community of faith. To be able to rejoice continually always, and pray continually, is evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the community and at work in the lives of the individuals. If you lack joy, if you lack the posture of prayer, it may be that the Spirit of God is not evident in your life. That's scary, man. That, that, that causes a little tension in me. In Galatians, Paul would say that joy is, one, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 14, he says that the kingdom of God is about peace, it's about righteousness, and it's about joy in the Spirit. And so our lives should be marked with joy. And he's not talking about something that you should be experiencing joy. I want to experience it. He is moving us in the direction that we, we would actively express Joy. Because joy isn't something that happens on the outside of you. Joy happens on the inside. And the only way that it could be seen is when you express it yourself in the way you live your life. And so whether it's all good, or it's all bad, or there's something in between, we are to continually exalt Christ. We are continually to keep him first in our lives. We are continually to make him the most important thing. And we do that by rejoicing in the Lord. We do that by rejoicing in the Lord. That he has come to save us. Knowing that his promises will be kept, that his plan is all laid out, and he is making it work, our life should reflect that truth. Knowing that we, the poor, have not only heard the gospel, but we have given, been given Jesus Christ the good news in the flesh. This is where we find the joy of the Lord. This is where we rejoice. And so there's this idea of rejoicing. And then he says, pray continually, which is a really a very simple idea. It's really not difficult to pray continually. Now I know, I mean, some of you have to, you unspiritual ones anyway, you have to have jobs and work and you, and you just think this whole idea of you can't pray continually because then you get fired and stuff like that. And, and see, you, you're getting it all wrong. Let's break it down a little bit. 
The children of God recognizing that we are completely 100% dependent on God for every little thing in our lives. When you become aware of that, when you actively engage that awareness, when it's a willful, conscious thing that's taking place in you, that everything you have is because of God, you are continually in prayer. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? And so every breath, every heartbeat, every morsel of food that enters your mouth is because God has allowed it. Every dollar you earn, every cup of water you drink is because God has allowed it. We are dependent on him for faith and for grace and for salvation and for sanctification. For every sunrise and every sunset, we are dependent upon God. Do I need to go on? Okay, I will. Every time that you get out of bed, every time that you get into bed, every time you're able to fall asleep, every time that you're able to get up and put your feet on the floor is because God's grace and mercy and gift to you. We are dependent upon God for everything. And when we recognize that every day of our lives and every moment to thank God for the things that he has given us, we are continually praying. It's not that hard. Do you recognize God in everything? And so it's within this rejoicing and it's in this posture of prayer that can only bring us to a place of giving thanks in all circumstances. Now notice what it does not say. It doesn't say that you should give thanks for all circumstances. It says to give thanks in all circumstances. I think it's, it's, Ignorance and unbiblical to think that you are to thank God when something terrible happens to you. Gee, thank you, God. I lost my job. Woohoo, go God. Thank you, God, for whatever it is that's broken around you and is crushing you. You're not, that's not what it says. But within those circumstances, you can thank God in them and not for them. It's about rejoicing always. It's about praying continually. It's about being thankful. That in all things, church, that in all things, love doesn't win. Goodness doesn't win. Righteousness does not win. God wins. Period. In everything, God wins. Even when it doesn't look like it, God wins. And it's within those two simple words, God wins. There is where we possess and we find joy. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. And I know that it could be easy for me to say that because right now there's nothing major happening wrong in my life. And maybe some of you, that's not the case. Don't think I'm being coarse or telling you to suck it up and get over it because I'm not. I'm here to bring you hope and peace because God wins. No matter what, God wins. Maybe I could say it like this. God wins. And in that, we can find our joy. In that, we can know our hope. In that, we know our peace. 
And so I guess the question this morning for us here is, what has robbed you of that very simple truth? What lie have you believed that has snatched those two words from your heart? What brokenness have you experienced that you tried to fix yourself and has robbed you that God wins and it's robbed you of your joy? You know, two weeks ago when we talked about hope, we said when we put our hope in something other than Christ, we're going to be disappointed and we can lose our hope. And then we talked about peace and we said that if we, put, if we look for peace in the things of this world and, and look for it in anything other than Christ, we are going to lose our peace. And let me tell you this, when you've lost hope and when you've lost peace, man, joy doesn't have a chance. Joy does not have a chance. And life becomes this, this necessary evil. You know, like, like you have to go through the day-to-day grinds. You have to, you have to, it's always that uphill bad battle. And you always have this, the, the why bother blues playing in your head. That's not what God would have for you. If you can just get a hold of the simple truth, God wins. If you'll let that seep into your soul, let that seep into your inner life, let that seep into your inner journey, that will change everything. And so what's robbed you of that truth? What has stolen that away from you? You know, I know that, I know that this is like Christianity 101. I, I get that. It's, it's, a, it's nothing amazing. This is not going to make, you know, the preaching CDs, this message. I, I, I get that. And for a lot of you, you've heard the hope and the peace and the joy and the love Advent sermons. They come like like once a year. I I get that. So if it's so JV, then why do we have so many Christians walking around that have no hope, no peace, and no joy in the Lord? What are we missing? What are we missing? Maybe it's time to read. No, maybe nothing. It's time to refocus. And that you would be an active expression of joy in the world and not always looking to be happy. So, you know, I I thought this morning that um, we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to sit quietly before God and do the work of the soul, do the work of the inward life and see and ask and pray, God, where have I been robbed of the truth? Where in my life have I given up the joy of the Lord? And maybe this morning you need to claim it back because it's yours. He's given it to you. If you are a Jesus follower, you have the hope of Christ, the peace of Christ, and the joy of Christ. It's already within you. But what lie have you believed that has allowed it to leave you or to rob you? So we're going to sit for a few minutes and be quiet. I know that's going to make some of you feel just kind of, you don't like quiet. But, but you know what I thought about this? For some of you, this few minutes of silence is going to be the only silence that you're going to allow yourself for the entire week. It's going to be right now. That's a sermon for a whole other day. And so begin to do the work of the inward journey of faith. Take some time. Don't worry, I won't let it go too long. It's only 1130. 
You got plenty of time. Pray, seek. I'm not going to play any music. I want you to feel uncomfortable so you can receive the comfort of the Lord. And I'll tell you when it's okay to stop. Go ahead.
God, we look for so many things in this world. And so many things that we would think we have, a, we can find hope and peace and joy. Lord, I pray that as your people here this morning have begun to do the work of house cleaning, that your spirit would reveal to them that simple truth that, that we're in control and you win. No matter what, no matter what they're going through, no matter how deep the hurts go, you love us. You're with us. Your promise is you're not going to forsake us. God, give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and a heart that is emptied of all the junk of the world and filled with the very Spirit of God. And that we could express the joy that's already within us to a world that looks for it the wrong things. Lord, I pray for the people this morning who's, where the world has just gave them a good thumping. Lord, that you pour your spirit upon them even more this morning. Just, just wash, their, wash their heart, God. Wash their soul with the spirit of God that it's not just words that you're not going to leave them, but it's a very sense. It's they just know. They know that they know. God, I ask you to change hearts this morning. And that those changed hearts would change families. As families change, neighborhoods change, and communities change the good and the glory of your kingdom. And so God, let Christmas and Advent not just be a December thing. Let it be, let this Christmas for us here in the little corner of Cheshire, let it be change for the rest of our lives. Let the message of your Advent resonate all year, every year, every day. Teach us to rejoice always, to pray continually and in all circumstances to give thanks. Keep the simple truth resonating in our hearts and in our minds. God wins. God wins. Stand before you in confidence because the gift is your son, Jesus. Amen. Two weeks till Christmas. <laughs> I love you guys. We'll see you next week.